Hello and welcome to Starting Over with Shannon. This is a podcast about fresh starts, new chapters and embracing change and challenge to become a better version of ourselves and create a better world around us. I'm your host Shannon Jenkins and every week I'll be bringing you a different starting over story with tips on how to conquer life's difficulties to find greater joy, meaning and purpose. This may be the most important solution to all of your problems. This is a bold title and a bold beginning, I know, but I believe that what I'm about to share during this short solo episode is absolutely key to lasting happiness, peace and health. The solution, stated simply, is we need to train and tame our mind. Basically, we need to learn how to think. You may have heard this old saying before, which is central to many a spiritual master's teachings, including Eckhart Tolle, who seems to be spontaneously mentioned so many times in my interviews. It goes like this. Watch your thoughts. They become your words. Watch your words. They become your actions. Watch your actions. They become your habits. Watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character for it becomes your destiny. Our thoughts create our lives. They not only shape how we interpret the world around us, they shape what we actually choose to do and who we choose to be and become. And when it comes down to our so-called problems, the real problem is likely not the situation, but rather our thoughts about it. Now, some of you may be thinking, piss off with your spiritual blah blah woman, I do actually have real problems. Bear with me a second and take a little trip down memory lane. Have you ever had a time in your life when, at a given moment, you were experiencing something unpleasant, painful, shameful, something that you perceived as being bad or negative at the time, but then you fast forward a few days, months, or even years And your perspective on that experience has completely changed. What you once considered a problem, you may now consider to be the exact opposite. I'll give you an example from my own life. Four or so years ago, I separated from my ex-partner, the father of my son, who was only about six months old at the time. I saw this as a problem. I was in a vulnerable position with a young baby who was heavily reliant on me, I was financially insecure. I was still a student at university with no established career. The so-called problem, quote-unquote, then became amplified as we became engaged in a very difficult legal case, which lasted for two years or so. It was an unwelcome situation, and I was plagued with all these thoughts and feelings of injustice, unfairness, fear, sadness, anxiety. But let's consider for a moment what a problem is. A problem has been defined as, quote, a matter or situation regarded as unwelcome or harmful that needs to be dealt with and overcome, end quote. The word that stands out to me here is regarded. Regarded, in other words, to consider or think about in a specific way. It is all about our perspective of the situation or matter at hand. I'll repeat from before, 
It is not the situation that is the problem, but rather our thoughts about it. In my case, I thought I would never go through such an arduous separation with the person I once loved, and probably if it was not for my son, I would have collapsed, or at least I thought I would have. But I had to deal with it, and in hindsight, it was the absolute making of me. I found a courage I never thought I had. I found a resilience I never thought I had. I found resources, including financial ones, I never thought I had. And above all, I found love. Self-love, which slowly came through opening up to and healing the wounds of my past from abuse, from betrayal. And this then opened the door to a new romantic love with a new man who is now my fiancé and with whom I share a beautiful, deep connection and a lovely life, one which I certainly would not have pictured for myself several years prior. This reminds me of a quote from a previous episode of the podcast with Dr. Nadine Macaluso, the ex-wife to the Wolf of Wall Street, when she said, A lot of the time we frame these chaotic or painful or suffering times as being bad or disastrous. And just because it feels bad doesn't mean it is bad. So perhaps take a moment to reflect on something that you regard as a current problem in your life. Maybe it's the ending of a romantic relationship or of a job or negative feedback from at a work performance review, for example. Take some mental distance and consider whether your perspective could or should indeed change on this. Different research offers different precise numbers, but in a nutshell, we have between 20 to 30,000 thoughts a day. Our brain is basically a gigantic thought factory. But the least we can say that it is not very creative. Over 90% of what you will think is exactly the same as what you thought the day before and the day before that. You're just ruminating the same thoughts over and over, even if you're not aware of this. Let me share with you this anecdote that I heard uh, on a speech by Eckhart Tolle. Quote, I was in the London tube and this lady was rumbling aloud all sorts of things. Other passengers were looking at her in a strange way, making discreet smiles at each other, meaning like, yeah, she is completely insane. I was thinking the same until I asked myself, am I any better? And the answer is no. The only difference between this lady and me is that I think silently. Our thoughts are repetitive. But why? A possible answer is that we have overdeveloped a part of our brain that helps us to make sound decisions. It's an analytical tool that reviews past experiences and their outcomes and then projects future possible scenarios of a set of potential decisions and it finally decides based on this data. But while this decision-making process can be very useful to deal with immediate danger or to avoid repeating the same mistakes over and over, if we overuse it, as so many of us do nowadays, we spend our time rehashing the past and projecting unlikely or even impossible future scenarios. And with some distance, I can see that this is what I immediately activated when I was in an abusive relationship. Based on past experiences of mine, of people around me, or even what I observed through wider society and culture, I started to imagine possible outcomes for myself. 
as I didn't know, I had so many more resources than I thought. And all of these scenarios, which were somewhat catastrophized in some way for me or my son, it meant that I ended up living in a state of increased anxiety or discomfort. It culminated to the point that I really did need help. And I eventually found the a person who inspired me greatly, actually, you hear her on the first episode of this podcast, Dr. Mary Quinlivan. She's a wonderful mindfulness counsellor. And in that period of darkness, when I thought, oh, God, I have to get out of my brain right now because there's just too much going on. She ended up teaching me two really important life-changing lessons. The first was she said, in this scenario of either rehashing the past or this potential, this future projection of what you imagine could ensue in your life, don't you leave out something important? And the answer was yes. I had completely forgotten about the present moment. And in that present moment is where you can find peace and stillness and a calm. Not always, but we add a layer of suffering on because of what our mind adds. The second thing that she also mentioned that resonated with me was, why do you think our problems tend to repeat themselves? One can decide to go for a fresh start, leave everything behind, go to the other end of the world, and within months will repeat the same situation over and over. They will repeat the same problems, face the same problems. To break that cycle, you need to find the courage to act differently than what you have done before. Because only a different action will lead to a different outcome. And you cannot act differently tomorrow if you think the same way as today. We've got to start broadening our thoughts. And it's something that I did. I started reading books that I'd never read before, listened to podcasts similar to this one, notably Oprah's Super Soul podcast. Um, I engaged in discussions I would not have felt comfortable having or in full honesty, I would have said, boh, this is just philosophical jargon or woo-woo rubbish and I'm just so not into that. It was definitely an effort at first, but there was some solace in it. There was some part of me that thought and felt actually like this is right. That meant that I continued on that trajectory. Unfortunately, And yes, I say fortunately, the situation I was in and my level of anxiety didn't allow me to go back to my old habits. This is really the gift of anxiety. And I do say gift because anxiety can be such a teacher to us to show us when we are uncomfortable, when our boundaries have been transgressed, when something isn't right and we really become attuned with our bodies knowing. Not in all instances, but a lot of the time it can be. And that's definitely what happened in my instance. I knew I had to pursue that path of spiritual growth and becoming aware of my thoughts or my mental health would suffer. It felt like I was on an obstacle-ridden path compared to the well-paved highway of my old habits, the comfortable habits, and I later understood why by getting familiar with the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza. Not sure if any of you have heard of him before, but his work is so, so powerful. I would thoroughly recommend it. One of the things that Joe says and confirms through a lot of scientific research is that 90% of our thoughts are repetitive. And then he goes on to demonstrate that those same thoughts therefore lead to making the same choices 
Those same choices lead to having the same behavior. The same behavior leads to having the same experiences. The same experiences lead to having the same emotions and the same emotions trigger the same thoughts. In a perfect circular way, which we can call the spiral or circle of thoughts, the unfortunate part is that we don't typically have positive spirals, right? The negative ones are what we all get caught up with. You know, we have that one negative thought which leads onto something else and something else and something else. And before we know it, we're in a very uncomfortable, sad, stressful, whatever place. And scientific research collected by and done by Joe Dispenza shows that this circle of thoughts influences so much, really, everything from our psychiatry, biology, body chemistry to our gene expression and our hormones. In short, what we think is who we are. And this is not only mental, but it's physical too. 90% of who we are at age 35 is a set of unconscious habits and automatic behaviors. I mean, this is great news if you love your life, think everything's wonderful, but it is something to be aware of if you wish to change. As you probably know and haven't experienced in your own life, very often changes we want to make are short-lived. We can use our willpower to decide on habits we wish to break, but willpower alone is very, very unlikely to succeed. It's more of a means to temporarily override our thoughts rather than truly changing them. It's not going to alter the core of who we are. And so what then? Are we condemned to live according to our thought circle and never break it? Well, no, of course not. But we have to understand the very nature of what change means and involves. It's a holistic process that involves a variety of changes, including those to our external environment, our identity, and of course, mindset. Regarding identity, I'm reminded of a point in James Clear's bestseller, Atomic Habits, where he states, instead of focusing on what we want to achieve, focus on who we want to become. Let's take smoking as an example. Say somebody is trying to permanently quit smoking and someone else offers them a cigarette. Instead of saying, no thanks, I'm, I'm trying to quit. Say instead, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. The identity shift here is crucial to success in lasting, lasting behavioural change. And you can see the importance of our thoughts here too, right? Let's also consider the environment in relation to change. Changing behaviours. Another point from James Clear's Atomic Habits is that Motivation, discipline is overrated and we need to make changes to the environment around us to make new habits stick, whether that be removing chocolate from your house if you're trying to eat more healthily or putting a gratitude journal with a pen next to the chair you have a cup of tea in in the morning if you're trying to implement a regular gratitude practice. This is all so, so, so valid. But let's suppose, for instance, that somebody is perpetually unhappy at work They've changed jobs multiple times, but the same problems seem to continuously arise, whether it be abusive bosses, jealous colleagues, unfair treatment. It is likely that it is the mindset of that person that is recreating the same conditions in some manner. And changing jobs will not solve the issue. Altering the cause, which is the mind frame, will. 
Of course, that's not to dismiss that people could have legitimate concerns at work. But the point that I'm stating here is that if something keeps happening on repeat in your life, we will benefit so much from stepping back and going, how am I contributing to this? Because you are in co-creation with your life. You know, we really need to take awareness of that. But of course, changing an external factor is easier than changing an internal one. So in the instance that I just described, the example I give, changing jobs is easier than changing your mindset. This has a biological explanation too. The more we do something or think in a certain way, the more our brain wires in that way. Behaviors which were once novel and challenging become familiar and easy. Think about, for instance, when you were first learning how to drive a car, a manual car in particular. You probably stalled numerous times. You couldn't get the hang of the clutch or the bite point, the gas pedal. But then with practice, with familiarity, it became easier and easier and then automatic. And now you can probably drive a car seemingly on autopilot without even remembering how you got somewhere if your mind got carried away, which a lot of us do. Now, it's worth noting that our brain needs energy to operate. And it has a limited daily supply of it. This is one of the reasons why we need good sleep, of course, to recharge it. The brain is only approximately 2% of our body weight, yet it accounts for about 20% of our body's energy use. Naturally performing pre-wired tasks and processes uses much less energy than recreating new ones. If you do something new, at first you might have that exciting thrill, you know, that so many of us love. But past that moment, your brain will likely not like it and it will try to stop you from bringing in that discomfort or that fear or that anxiety. This is not a forward thinking process, just a simple energy saving mode as it saves energy to stay on pre-wired schemes. And of course, the brain would prefer that to a new behavior, even if the old behavior brings you unhappiness or sickness. The good news is that you do have the power to overrule this biological process. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable at first, and it certainly will take you out of your comfort zone. But if you engage in the change process, you should really view this as a sign that you are on the right path. You know, because what I see a lot of the time is that we interpret our discomfort as being a reason to stop. But actually, it could be the complete opposite. Change involves courage. We need courage and lots of it. You know, this reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou when she says, courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. And of course, being courageous, that will involve us stepping outside of our comfort zone, but we will reap the rewards from that. Before I try to give you a few tips on how to undertake this transformative thought circle process, let's go back to its holistic nature. So we've seen before that our thoughts create our environment. In epigenetics, we see that our environment influences our genes. Do you remember the old nature v. nurture debate you probably learned at some point in high school? Whether it's nature, i.e. our genes that influence who we are, or nurture, all those environmental factors from family dynamics, relationships, wider culture, etc. Well, epigenetics is this emerging area of scientific research that shows actually how our environment influences the expression of our genes. 
So this old idea that genes are somehow set in stone has been disproven. So if we are exposed to the same quote-unquote environment, that will lead to the same gene expression. But if we change our environment, we can actually recode our genes. Now, these are very important findings. They have huge implications in how we understand health because our genes are involved in the cause and solution to a lot of our health problems. But not only... It highlights in a scientific way how much our environment is important and how much we have to take care of it. So remember thinking about this holistically, when I use the word environment, I mean things such as how we eat, our connection to nature, where we live, with whom we interact, our family environment, work, our stress and anxiety level, our drug and alcohol consumption, what we read, listen to, watch, all of those things, they play a part in this. So first suggestion, if you want to change your thought circle, first you've got to identify what you want to change. Which better version of yourself would you like to become? And really think deeply about what you want to change in your life and understand why you want to change that first and then dig into what prevents you to implement these changes. Then make a list of your environmental factors. So you can use some of the examples that I just gave you and continue that list so that it matches your own environment. And then objectively analyze if these environmental factors are aligned with the version of yourself that you inspire to become. Because they will give you hints about what you need to tackle first. As said before, willpower alone is rarely successful in this process. Instead, you have to train your brain to think differently. So citing Joe Dispenza again, he demonstrates that in order to rewire your brain, you have to visualize your desired outcome, along with the associated feelings and emotions. For example, if your target, your goal is to heal a knee condition, you should probably visualize yourself running with all the feelings associated or even walking with all the feelings associated with a healthy knee and the joy of winning a race or what it feels like to feel the wind in your face and the sun on your skin and if that was something you previously did. Now Joe Dispenza says that with this process your brain won't make the difference between the visualization process and the experience itself. It will not recognize the difference. It will rewire in the same way. One of the conditions to do this effectively is to be in a deep meditative state. But meditation or any kind of mindfulness technique really will be your key ally in this process, not only for the technique I just shared, but also because in order to change the pattern of your thoughts, you obviously first have to become aware of the contents of your thoughts. And this will involve present moment awareness. So make a conscious effort to observe your thoughts as much as you can, especially surrounding something you are identifying as a problem in your life. What's coming up for you? You might realize that we actually have a significant tendency to rehash our most traumatic experiences and then remain in a level of anxiety or discomfort that is actually unrelated to the events of the present. So let's say, for example, you were cheated on in the past with a previous partner and that betrayal hurt you immensely. 
Now, in a new relationship, sometime later, your thoughts may go to the fear of being cheated on again, imagining your partner being with somebody else, even if they haven't, and so on. You can imagine a whole scenario that has not happened and cause yourself, quite frankly, unnecessary stress and suffering. But as you observe those thoughts with some distance, you can save yourself some headache or heartache and probably gain some precious insights as well. I've even realized that these insights have a tendency to come from uh, another deeper, wiser part of ourselves. This Certainly this is my experience, which expresses itself in between these thoughts. One of the key challenges, of course, is to in order to have these insights is be able, is to be able to create enough space between these thoughts. I've noticed this primarily through meditation. Now I know for example even my mum I'm trying to get my mum into meditation and she says, "Oh, I just I can't do it because I can't switch off my thoughts." And I said, "Well, that's not the point, you know. The point is that we try and then you can observe and you can see what thoughts you're actually thinking." You know, take the time to see that because a lot of the time we are having these thousands of thoughts running through our mind, but we are not even conscious or aware of what they are and then how that can lead us to make different decisions and act in a certain way and so forth. So really, if you can practice once or twice a day being and not necessarily in meditation, but being present enough so that there's a void between these thoughts, that void will be the space for deeper insights and new and more creative ideas. I'll finish this solar episode with another anecdote from Eckhart Tolle. He says this, I was invited to speak at a big business conference in the Silicon Valley. In the evening, the organiser invited all speakers and VIPs in a big garden party. In the middle of the grass, they had set a giant aquarium. And after the first round of cocktails, a man let himself in chains and dived into the aquarium. He managed to escape. This is this escape artist thing. He managed to escape from his chains. And we all watched this with anxiety and thrill. And at the end of the show, the speaker addressed me and asked, can you do this? Can you spend more than three minutes without breathing? And I replied, well, I would certainly die. But then he said, the reason I was a key speaker at this conference was not because I can hold my breath for so long, but because I could stop thinking for the same amount of time. I hope this episode has inspired you to create some distance between you and those thoughts of yours that relentlessly rumble around your mind, that you're able to sometimes catch yourself, so to speak, in those moments when your negativity, your self-doubt, your inner critic emerge, and know that that really is the step towards lasting change and greater happiness and peace, because you do have the power to change and create the life that you imagine for yourself. It's all within you. Have a wonderful week, my lovely listeners.